lot of woo-woo. Yeah, woo, I guess, but for the wrong thing. And why I tightened this down when that happened, there's, there's no reason to do that. It just gives me something to do. Is that better? Does that, that fix it, Corey? There's nothing more baffling. That's not true. Few things are more baffling in athletics than watching somebody who was really good suddenly lose their form. They can be one of the best at whatever they do, and inexplicably, they're no longer the best at what they do, and they can't seem to find their way back. There's a um, soccer player named Fernando Torres who had been one of my son's favorite players. And he still is, even though he's a traitor and left our team. But that's, we're not going to get into bitterness. Uh, Fernando Torres, a few years ago, he's called the kid. He was young and rated one of the top five best players in the world. It seemed like he could not not score. He was a striker that consistently put the ball on the net. He betrayed Liverpool, went to Chelsea, which is another team, and inexplicably lost his form. He went a stunning amount of games without scoring, was eventually benched. No one really knows why. He may be starting to recover his form. Why athletes lose their form, no one knows. Everybody does a little bit. There's always a slump, and one of the keys in athletics is, can I recover? Can I return back to the form I once had? The truth is, in athletics, recovery is really important. Recovery from injury, recovery from fatigue. Um, it's just as important in our life, too. The concept of being able to recover what has been lost, to find strength through criticism, through failure, through success, to recover who we're supposed to be and how we're meant to live. The difference for most of us is, unlike Fernando Torres, we're not sure we ever had the form to start with. We're trying to recover something that is only a dim memory of what it looks like, whether it be through our relationships or how we handle our finances or how we handle sex, whatever it is. And the key issues of life... We have this vague sense, kind of like the song The Cave, we have this vague sense that there's something out there about the way I'm meant to be, but it's only a vague sense, because unlike Fernando Torres, we were not once on top of the world and trying to see how we could get it back. We sense we're supposed to live a certain way, but something is subtly, or sometimes drastically, amiss. But that's what has to be recovered. This song, the, the, the Cave, I'm assuming, I, I could be wrong, I'm assuming it's based on Plato's allegory, The Cave. It would make sense, wouldn't it? And the song seems to follow some of the rationale of it. And Plato's allegory, The Cave, is a story of, it's a, it's a metaphor about perception and about knowledge. How do we know the things that we know? And in the story, Plato, the heroes are in a cave, and they are staring what they think is reality, and what it is, is the images of the real world behind them being projected through firelight. It's not the real world. It's just vague shapes that somehow simulate it. And in Plato's allegory, when we walk out of the cave, we finally understand what life actually looks like and our perceptions are corrected. Christianity, at its heart, is a recognition that often the way we look at the world and ourselves is only vaguely true. 
and there's a different way of looking at life, ourselves, God, one another, that's real, as much more real as the shadow on the wall is to the real thing. And that's what we have to recover. And I think most of us live with a, a vague sense in whatever area of our life that something is subtly amiss. Now, in certain areas, we may feel like you got it locked down. I want to be fair here. It may have certain areas of your life you feel like, I, got, I pretty much got that one locked down. But I'm, I, I would be surprised if there's not anybody who didn't have at least one or two areas of your life that are actually critically important where you only have this vague sense of the way it's supposed to be and the pattern and the way you've approached it has never quite worked. And Christianity is the story of the recovery of the human soul back to the fullness of what it's supposed to be, where the vague sense becomes a concrete reality. See, all, you know, you, if you look up the word recovery, all it means is a return to normal. Normal's a good thing. When I teach public speaking, this is what I tell my students, seriously. I tell them, go tell your parents. They'll be thrilled that this is what your professor told you is that all I want you to do is be normal. If you can be normal, that would be awesome. But if any of you have ever done what I'm doing right now, which is stand up in front of other people, the hardest thing in the world to do is to be normal. Somehow you become abnormal. Weird hand gestures, staring into strange corners of the room, turning colors that are not normally known to humankind. And normal's gone. Your, your personality becomes muted or even lost. And so, if you're standing up in front of people and you can become normal again, and whatever is normal for you, okay, this is normal for me. This is actually what it's, yeah, anyway. So, if you can return to normal, you'll be okay. I really think <clears throat> this was the bulk of Jesus' teaching. And it's why it sounded so odd. In a world where the abnormal became regular, he was trying to talk about a recovery a return to normal. And so, I think it's, broadly speaking, why he was so completely misunderstood. Because we all sense we're not normal. It's not right, it's off. And so what we do with that, often, is not fix it. We hide it. Or, we duct tape over it. Christianity, without question, is a story of forgiveness. Without question. But it's a story of, re of forgiveness to bring us back to something, a different way of life that we were always meant to have. This series is called The Great Recovery. And really, only the title is based on something that Dave Ramsey has done called The Great Recovery. But the idea of it is this. There are critical areas in our life where we need to recover what was lost. We need to break through the, the things that have bound us when each one of those things and find the place of freedom in all the important areas of our life. And so, I'm going to look with you today briefly at a passage in the Gospel of Matthew. And in this, Jesus is speaking in what is his longest, at least his longest recorded talk that we have. And it certainly is most famous, which is the Sermon on the Mount. And we're toward, near the end of it. The Sermon on the Mount is <clears throat> relatively long. It's three chapters. And toward the end of the third chapter of that, which is Matthew 7, verse 24, this is what Jesus says. So he's talked a lot, okay? He's said many things about everything from uh, adultery to giving to uh, peace and worry, and this is what he says. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine 
and puts them into practice as like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat and blew against that house, and yet it did not fall because its foundations had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. He sort of wraps up his teaching and he says, okay, now understand something. Metaphorically speaking, you build your house on this, it's going to be strong. If you don't, it's going to crash. I mean, you can't understand really why people got up so upset with him. Imagine me saying to you, walking in and saying to you, okay, I'm gonna, I've just told you a bunch of stuff. If you listen to what I said, and if you build your entire life on what I said, you're going to be fine. And if you don't, if you don't listen to me, then your life is going to fall apart and crash. This is why people got irritated with him. Because unless you're actually and ultimately right, those are very difficult words to hear. Many of us have come to the conclusion that Jesus was absolutely and ultimately right, and so his words need to be heard. And so he makes, uh, as he often does, sort of... you got two options here. And he doesn't command, he illustrates. You have two options. I've told you a whole series of things, and this is about normal life. This is about how you're supposed to live. And you've got other patterns of life you got two options. Stick with what you're, you're going with. Stick with it with the belief that it will weather the storm. Or you can completely trash, obliterate, and annihilate that approach to life and listen to what I said, and you're going to be safe. Your choice. What do you want to do? Now, on the surface of that, does that not, not sound simple? Okay, let's see. Hmm. Destroy my life or find peace and security. So, what's the problem? You don't believe them. Have any of you seen the movie The Perfect Storm? If not, you should. Or read the book, or both. The movie's based on a true story about a perfect storm, three storms that collide off the coast of Gloucester, Massachusetts. And... um, a boat called the Andrea Gale that's caught in it and has a choice. It's way in the opposite side of the storm. It's so far out at sea, it can weather waiting, but if it does, all the fish, all the catch they have will die, or they can go through the storm to try to get back in time to do what they intended to do, which was get those fish to market and sell them. And they get advice, both on Radar, which is saying three storms are about to collide and somebody telling them this is the worst storm that's ever hit, please do not come. And there's this, it's only funny in a, uh, I guess a really bent dark way, of George Clooney and, and, and um, Mark Wahlberg in the cabin deciding as, they, as the storms are just drilling the boat, you want, yeah, let's go for it. And you're like, oh my goodness, you, you haven't read the end of the book. <laughs> you're going to die. Which, of course, they do. Hmm? Hey, hey, Joe, when a movie gets that old, plot spoiler. I'm sorry. You know, if it was still in the theaters, I'm saving you. I've warned you all before. There's a certain amount of time you're going to get a plot spoiler. Yes, they die. No, no they could, nobody ever found them, so they could be alive. You've seen Castaway. He lives. 
You haven't? Well, he lives. But the girl doesn't wait for him. Hey, Joe, if you could tell me any other movies you've seen so I could spoil them, that would be awesome. Mm. Jesus dies. Well, where's Amy? So, why does George Clooney go back into the storm? Because he thinks everything that's being told him is he can weather it. I don't care what, I can weather this. I can handle it. I, I know this is wisdom. I can handle it. See, that's how we live our lives. There are warning signs everywhere. But just, just give me a little more time. So we work on, I can, I can handle it. I can make this right. That's why Jesus speaks so strongly. He says, no, you can't. I, 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 don't, I don't believe you're not trying. I don't believe you're not a decent human being. No, you can't. Can a man, as it says in Proverbs, scoop fire into his lap and not get burned? It's rhetorical. The answer, of course, is no. But we live as if we can. We live as if we can follow ways of life, patterns of thinking that are bent and broken, and somehow we will make them right. In financial areas, we, we believe that, uh, yeah, I know, I know debt is bad, but I can handle it. If I do it, I'll be okay. We live with sexual practices. Well, yeah, I know this is supposed to, you know, be difficult if you continue sleeping around, but don't give me that prudish, you know, Victorian stuff. We're in a new era, and it'll be fine. I'm the one who can handle that shattering of intimacy. It'll be okay. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to live not totally focused on myself, but no, I've got, I've got this licked. I've got it figured out. And so we take patterns of life, and every one of us has a different place where we do that, where we insist that driving into the storm, which nobody has ever survived, we will survive. And so that's why Jesus says, you gotta tr- really, you can do it if you want. <laughs> George, go through the storm if you want. Or you can recover what was lost. And one of the things, every time I speak, this is the question I want to answer for you. Why should I care? Seriously, why do, so what? Why does this matter to me? Two reasons. Anytime we choose a pattern of life that is not how we were designed, we will find our lives enslaved, bound, wrapped up, and so we will lose peace. If we insist, if we're given a little more time, it'll turn out well. Ask Bobby Petrino how that works. Bobby Petrino is the former coach of Arkansas football. And his life, which was Okay, he had a 25-year-old mistress who was engaged to somebody else. That's the part I really don't get. Seriously, I feel like I get most things in life. I get the brokenness in life. That's the part I really don't get. His mistress was a 25-year-old woman who was engaged to somebody else. And it got engaged to him after, long after they'd been having this affair with a married man. Uh, you see, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to judge their lives, but that's the point where I realized 
how off do we get in our thinking that we can make something work? Okay, so I have a motorcycle with her on the bike, uh, with her on the back of it. Well, if I just lie, somehow the police report won't show that she was there. Okay, the police report shows she's there. Well, somehow they won't know that we had an affair for last God knows how many years. I know they figure that out. Oh, so what we'll do is they won't figure out that I hired her overlooking 158 other more qualified candidates. Oh, wait. They found it all out. I bet you'd asked Bobby Trino now, and at some level he'd go, huh, it didn't work. Stunning. See, the, I would argue that the, the, the primary thing Jesus wants for you is freedom. And when he tells us ways to live, and actually, see, he, he always offers them. I just, I just get amazed by it. When he offers us ways to live, it's ne- we think it's to bind us. And it's always to free us because we, fa- pattern, we follow patterns of life that take us deeper and deeper into an enslavery to them that destroys our life. And as, it, as our life gets more complicated and peace gets more elusive, the older I get, the more I want peace. Sister, I, want, I want peace. I want to le- know a level of harmony because harmony is a place where things are in stasis. They're in equilibrium. They're as they're supposed to be. They're not things that are off. Peace is incredibly exciting to me at this point. Because it means what I'm not doing is I'm not trying to fend off all of the issues that I've created. And so finally I can be free. And when I can be free, then, secondly, I can start to lift my head and look up the world around me. I I can begin to enjoy the beauty around me. I can begin to see you and the issues that break your heart. And I can come alongside you. The more I'm wrapped up in the problems I've created for myself, the less able I am to see the beauty in the world and to see you. I have spent a large portion of my 52 years of life um, being not terribly effective relationally. Stunning, I know. And a lot of the reason for that is I've followed patterns that aren't healthy. If you spend enough time trying to fix all the crap in your life, it's very difficult to care about other people. There's no time. And so Jesus longs for us to find peace. A place where our heartbeat, our pulse slows and becomes normal. A place where we see the things around us that are worth investing in and worth enjoying, and we do it. A place where I can actually appreciate the goodness of life in the small and in the big things because my mind is not worrying about everything I have to make sure I've covered up, fixed, repaired. Peace. That's what recovery is too. A life of peace and a life of freedom. And so, yes, Jesus offers us forgiveness. He does. He dies on the cross to offer us forgiveness. But it's only the start. It's a forgiveness that brings us back to where we're supposed to be because normal is you being in a relationship with God. That's normal. That's why how you're designed. If it's not there, we will always be off trying to somehow fix and fill the gap that that loss creates. That's normal. And then... 
he allows us to begin to see a different way of living, quite frankly, everywhere. Now, two things, two different things. As I close, really important, there's two equal and opposite ways this can go poorly for you. One is, if you take, if you decide to become George Clooney. Okay, that is probably true for most people. But after all, I'm George Clooney. I'm the main character. I don't die. I hear, look, I got no stake in this. You got some issues in your life right now. Everybody does. Everybody's got an issue or two where you're bound. Don't be George Clooney. Storm wins every time. Every single time. Boat always goes under. Your soul can be free. Don't buy into the notion that you alone can be the one who lives counter to the way your creator made you to live in peace and harmony and freedom, and you'll survive. You might survive, but it's going to be ugly. Second way, equal and opposite way it can go wrong is you decide that I'm right and you become self-righteous. That is so true. I have lived the wrong way and now I'm going to live the right way and I'm going to tell everybody else that they need to start living the right way. It's honestly, it's honestly why when I talk about this subject, it's a subject about Jesus. I mean, you can make, I can make a very strong case that the Bible teaches you the wise way to live. I can make a very strong case for that. And honestly, what makes me a little uncomfortable every time I say that is because I've seen what that teaching has done to the world around us. Where well-meaning, at least in the beginning, Christians who see something better, oh, I'm supposed to live this way, and then they beat the you-know-what out of people with their Bible about you ought to live a better life like me. It's not it. It's a place of humility that finds a, a level of grace and freedom not to have, I mean, why in the world? It's just another, it's just another coping mechanism. Self-righteousness is just another way to deal with the thing we never dealt with in the first place, which is a lack of security about who we are. And so we use our Bible as a weapon to show how well our soul is. If your soul is well, you won't be self-righteous. If your soul is well, you will look and you will see the laws and others and you will love them and you will seek to help them to find freedom there is a place of freedom that is worth finding and the things that bar our way are the things that we see as critical to our life your money can make you free and it completely bind you your relationships can make you free or they can completely bind you your sexuality can make you free or it can completely bind you See this series as a clarion call to peace and to freedom. And I encourage you to come every week with your heart open and say, all right, Jesus, you made this pretty clear. One, there's this way and there's this way. Would you show me the space in my life where I don't even see how I'm off because I want to find recovery, the greatest recovery of all to my soul where it's supposed to be normal, connected with you, following you, finding peace, finding beauty. Through the words of Jesus, I think that's what you'll see in this series. Let's pray.
There's that verse in the, in the Old Testament that's always struck me. There's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. And it really does seem right. <laughs> it's an insidious thing about it. I pray you would show us uh, the places where we're still in the cave, still staring at illusions, still living our life based upon them. Pray you'd show the place in our life where we need to turn around and see what reality actually looks like. I pray really for your grace because I realize that in this room this morning there are people who are holding on to a pattern of life that has not been successful and yet everything in them wants to hold on to it because they fear if they let it go the coping, the management that has just barely kept things in place they'll have to set that down. It's why we need your grace. It's why we need your forgiveness. It's why we need the sense that you see us and you know the flaws and you know the brokenness and you welcome us to yourself. I pray for each one in the room, Lord, that you'd help them to hear your voice of healing and of hope and of freedom for their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. May you walk out today believing deeper than you have that it's true. What God wants for you is freedom, healing, wholeness. And it's possible, not just for the other people in the room, but for you. Because you see, in real space and time, the Son of God came to earth. He lived, he died, and he rose for you to make you alive again. And the moment you receive that, from that day and every day forward, you have the love of God, your Father. You have the grace of Jesus that covers over all of your sin. And you have the presence of His Spirit in your life. Now go in peace.